Let's start with a story. It was the night of my wedding. And it was already past midnight, past all the, the, the celebrations, the dinner with family. People were going to sleep, trying to get ready for the big day the next morning. And I was about to settle down. I was about to start my evening because I had yet to write my wedding vows. So there was this balcony in our Airbnb. So I opened the window, I went out there, I sat there, I brought my pen and paper, and I tried to come up with an idea of how to come up with a proper wedding vow to my wife. And as I began to recall the journey of our relationship, 10 years, imagine 10 years. She was 18, I was 20, and we found ourselves as 28-year-old and 30-year-old. For some reason, we got there. In between those 10 years, I was recalling fights, a lot of fights, just fights after fights, conflicts after conflicts, differences after differences, impossibilities upon impossibilities, and yet I'm sitting here on a balcony on the eve of my wedding day. There was only one reason I could come up with, that I was standing, I was sitting there, there was only one plausible reason that I could have gotten from that 20-year-old boy to this 30-year-old boy. It was God. Only God. Nothing could have been possible. How we bridged racial differences, how we bridge cultural differences, how we bridge family differences, how we bridge values and conviction differences, ways of life, personality differences, it was only God. So I tried to write a vow in that late, maybe 1 or 2 a.m. in the morning, trying to capture our whole story, trying to retell of all our impossibilities, while highlighting that the only way we could have gotten here was because of God. So if you were tuned into my wedding, or if you were invited, and uh, you would have heard, I kept saying a phrase, some way, somehow. Some way, somehow, this pretty girl fell in love with a not-so-pretty boy. This patient girl stuck with this immature boy, and so on and so forth. Some way, somehow, we're here. I tried to surface God without mentioning God at all. I wanted the hearers and the attendees to see that the only reason we have this day today, the only reason we are celebrating this wedding today is because of this God. Despite of all the stories that you see physically, despite of me growing up in 10 years physically, behind the scenes, it was all God. I say this because the book of Esther is similar to this. Our new series is entitled Invisible God, Invisible Hands. You see, the author of Esther was a poet. He was brilliant. You know why? Because as you read the book of Esther, there was no single mention of God. Zero. Not one person mentioning God, not narrators telling us that they thought of God. There was no conversation or prayer with God recorded. 
It was just a series of normal events being carried out in the everyday palace of the king. So it seems like a mundane story. Why would this have to be in the Bible? It's just a king and a queen and, and some parties, you know? Why is this in the Bible? Because in the brilliance of the author, he shows us that this God that we have, that we worship, that we are standing before today, is able to orchestrate, is able to course out his purposes in the everyday events and decisions of our lives, imperfect as we are, 18-year-olds and 20-year-olds, fools as we were. He is able to accomplish good invisibly, behind the scenes, his hands, his fingerprints, his flavor, his fragrance is all over our stories. Invisible, silent, and yet he is there. Some way, somehow, he orchestrates all of our stories to make sense in light of redemptive gospel plans. So before we dive into the actual verses for today, allow me to frame how we as Christians should read the Bible. Have you ever watched a 3D movie? It looks a lot like the picture on your left. If you haven't put on your 3D glasses, the one with the red and the blue lens, but as you put on those lenses, it will look a lot like the picture on your right. Lines are more defined, pictures are pop out, they are clearer. Contrast, clarity, color, they all pop out. Why do I say this? Because as we read the Bible, we, ha we have to put on a similar lens so that we can see the contrasts, the colors, and the clarity to keep the main thing the main thing. You see, oops. The lens for reading the Bible is our first point. We have to set our eyeglasses before we watch this movie. To read the Bible, we need to read it through the lens of how each passage does the following. How it presents Christ, how it provides contrast to Christ, how it reveals the way of Christ, how it predicts the works of Christ and his plans, how it patterns the life of Christ, how it prepares all of creation for Christ. And so as we enter into Esther, this is the lens we put on. This is the glasses that will help us see this muffled image and suddenly it all aligns. How does these mundane palace events present Christ? How does these kings and queens provide contrast to Christ? How does this story reveal how God moves and works in the everyday life of everyday humans. Put on this lens of reading as we go through Esther. You know why? Because we remember as Christ was risen, he walked with the disciples, and it said in Luke 24, 26 to 27, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus himself interpreted them, all of Scripture, 
the things concerning himself. So before that, people did not make sense of the picture. It was like a 3D image. Moses, prophets. Suddenly, when Christ came, Christ died, Christ rose from the dead. He interpreted through the lens of himself. Everything is me. Everything shows you me. Everything reveals me. I reveal the hidden God. And so we put on the Christ lens as we enter into the story even of Esther. Remember, you will not hear of God, but put on the lens of God to see him. This is encouraging because as a church, we struggle nowadays to find God in our everyday. Ah, Sunday, I feel close to God. But in my everyday work, in my relational problems, in my family, in my marriage, in my workplace, in my financial struggles, ah, God, uh, maybe he's not in this place. Maybe he's somewhere else. But learning to read the Bible in the everyday stories helps us to learn how God works in the everyday, how God is present in the invisible, how we can smell him, taste him without having to see. That helps us in our everyday. That's our prayer as we enter into Esther, a book that mentions no God. So Esther chapter 1, we have established the lens for reading, and now we will go into our passage for today. Interestingly, in Esther chapter 1, there was this character that seems to jump out at us very, very strongly. It was painting a character chapter. It was describing this person for us as it sets the table for the whole book of Esther. Let's read chapter 1. Now in the days of Ahasuerus, in the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all his officials and servants. The army of Persia and Media and the nobles and governors of the provinces were before him. While he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days, 180 days. And when these days were completed, the king gave for all the people present in Susa, the citadel, both great and small, a feast lasting for seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. There were white cotton curtains, violet hangings fastened with cords of fine linen, purple to silver rods, and marble pillars. Also, couches of gold, silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and precious stones. Drinks, drinks were served in golden vessels, vessels of different kinds, and the royal wine was lavished according to the bounty of the king. And drinking was according to this edict. There is no compulsion. For the king had given orders to all the staff of his palace to do as each man desired. Queen Vashti also gave a feast for the women in the palace that belonged to King Ahasuerus. And so as we enter into the scene into Esther chapter 1, we are almost like guests entering into a palace. We step into the palace and what catches our eyes are these glorious white curtains. Curtains made of linen and fabric 
that only you wear. You don't make it a curtain. So yung mga guests, siguro pagpasok nila, yung cortina niya, eh yung damit ko, cortina lang niya. Then you see the rods, curtain rods, made of silver. Then you see pillars made of marble. Yung, yung, yung kitchen counter mo lang yung marble. Sa kanya, poste lang marble. And then sofa niya, gold. Sahig niya, silver. May picture pa. So the author was intentionally welcoming us, the readers, into a palace of glory, splendor, oh, eh talaga. Sobra, sobra. What do we find out about this man as we're simply entering the gates of the, of the palace? What captures us about this impression that we're getting even before we meet the king? This is another palace. It's not the same palace. But imagine entering into a palace like that. You taste the sweetness of a wine you've never tasted before. You touch linen you've never worn before on their curtains. You step on a floor you can't even afford. The, the marble pillars are taller than your house. What does this say to you about this king? Without even meeting him yet. He hasn't said a word. The king was trying to establish that he was a king of public spectacle, a public lavish spectacle of power and glory. Why? I can afford to make such a palace as this, so imagine what else I can afford to do. I can buy your life. He gathered key people so that he can just establish this fact. He was a king of such power and of such glory that even simply physically entering into his palace, you are dominated with an impression of power and glory. Do anything you want. Drink all the wine you want. Eat all you can. So this impression publicly was strong. As a guest, this king should not be messed with. I cannot mess with this kind of king who has my clothes as his curtains. He was communicating to the neighbors and to the world what kind of king he was. And yet, we step into the next verses with such a steep change of tone. Let's read. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of the king, uh, Suarez, to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown, in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command, delivered by the eunuchs. At this, the king became enraged. His anger burned within him. Wow. Then the king said to the wise men, according to the law, what is to be done to Queen Vashti because she has not performed the command of King Asuerus delivered by the eunuchs? 
Then Memucan said in the presence of the king and the officials, not only against the king has Queen Vashti done wrong, but also against all the officials and all the peoples who are in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus. For the queen's behavior will be made known to all women, causing them to look at their husbands with contempt, since they will say, King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, and she did not come. This very day, the noble women of Persia and Media who have heard of the queen's behavior will say the same to all the king's officials, and there will be contempt and wrath in plenty. If it please the king, let the royal order go out from him. Let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes, so that it may not be repealed that Vashti is never again to come before King Ahasuerus, and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. So when the decree made by the king is proclaimed throughout all his kingdom, for it is vast, all women will give honor to their husbands, high and low alike. This is the advice of the eunuchs. So this advice pleased the king and the princess, and the king did as Memucan proposed. He sent letters to all the royal provinces, to every province in its own script, and to every people in its own language, that every man be master in his own household and speak according to the language of his people. So we pick up this story. We are guests in this party of lavish glory. We are having an impression that this king should not be messed with. After seven days of lavish partying, the king was kind of tipsy. And his, his, his men were also kind of tipsy. Okay, let's call the queen. Let her wear her crown and come here. Some scholars are saying when, when it says with her royal crown, it only means only with her royal crown. Let her come wearing only her crown, for she, she was beautiful to look at. Her body was beautiful to look at. Let my men and all my men be impressed with my sexy wife. And the queen refused to come. You see, he had 180 days and seven days of feasting to establish that he was a king of power, of glory, of dominion, and of authority over all the neighbors, over all Persia, over all Medes. Suddenly, this wife, simple request, magpapakita ka lang eh, di mo kailangan magdamit eh. Babangon ka lang, Pupunta ka doon, simple lang eh. Disobeyed. What would the king feel? He was trying to put up an impression. He was trying to leave an impression. On the last day of the feast, this happens. Lahat ng gold, lahat ng curtain, biglang, eh, The king tries to use his wife to show off his glory and pomp, but he's unable to warrant even the submission of his own wife. And then what does he do? After your wife disobeys you, what do you do? Do you ask eunuchs to give you advice? But that's what he does. He asks government officials to, to, to tell him what to do with his marriage. And then, Despite of whatever advice the eunuchs gave, it sounded great to the king. Palitan na lang natin yan. Hanap ka ng mas mabuti yung willing sumunod kahit ano. May gold ka eh. Ang laki-laki ng kingdom mo eh. Palitan mo yan. Sige, sige. Maganda yan. Hanap tayo yung maganda pa rin. Pero yung susunod ha, pagka-party ako. What does this 
suddenly tell us about this king. You see, privately, this king was a pity. No power, no authority even of his own household. Laki-laki nga ng kurtina mo, gold nga yung sopa mo, yung asawa mo, hindi ka nga pinapakinggan, wala nga respeto sa'yo. He does, she doesn't even feel the need to just give herself up for you. Because why? It tells you of something the king truly is. So from a publicly lavish spectacle of power and glory, suddenly there was a contrast on the flip side of the coin. This king was privately a pity. Walang wala pala to eh. Pakita lang to eh. Performance lang to eh. Pera-pera lang to eh. His rulership is even run by his advisors. He did not know what to do with his marriage. He did not know how to govern his queen. He ran his kingdom according to the advice of others. Interesting. So let's tone down a bit. Let's come back to us here in the present day. You see, most of us, we fear certain things. We fear certain things about ourselves that we don't like people confirming to us. And dito na ba yung slide ko? Yan, sige. I'll use myself as an example. How I'm like this king some way. Somehow. I just got married last November 22, 2022. And I saw a social media post recently of one of my wedding guests. Sana hindi siya nanonood. Kasi na-offend ako. Nag-post siya. Nag-attend siya ng wedding ng ibang tao. At sabi niya, this was one of the best weddings I've ever been to. It makes me want to fall in love again. It makes me want to get married again. Tapos parang ako naisip ko, parang hindi ka naman nag-post ng wedding namin. <laughs> Maganda naman yun. But hmm, parang wala kang sinabing ganun kaganda sa wedding namin. It sounds funny now, pero talaga na-offend talaga ako. Kasi parang hindi ko siya na-impress ah. Inside of my chest, I really felt a tightness. There was this tightness that I did not want to admit. I did not know what it was. But I realized at one of my dark corners of my heart, I was using my wedding as a banquet. Yeah, tignan nyo. Astig, di ba? Nakakilig kami, di ba? I was trying to earn an impression that I wanted people to have of me through my wedding. May, may, may konting perasong ganun. Hindi naman purely ganun, no? But there's a part of my heart that desired that. I desired that my guests would come out of my wedding having a better impression of me. And when I realized that, kaya pala nainsulto ako eh. I have given my wedding a, a potential to become something that gave me something. I used it. I utilized my wedding. I wanted people's approval. I wanted people's respect. I wanted people's honor. I wanted to be glorious in their eyes through this wedding. A little piece of my heart, at least. And so at that point, you would ask, Ano dapat mong gawin? May dalawa akong naisip eh. 
Either one, i-unfollow ka na tong kaibigan na to. Ungrateful guest. Hindi doon ka umattend sa wedding ng iba. <laughs> We've all heard that in our own minds. Hindi wag, di kita friend, hindi ka pa natutuwa sa akin eh. That's an escape. You remove what makes you feel what you do not want to feel. You remove that trigger, that person that makes you feel something you keep denying about yourself. Some insecurity you do not want to feel. Tulad kapag mahina ka mag-basketball, ayaw mo kalaban yung mga professional. Kasi bakit? May feel mo mahina ka eh. So dito sa mga bata, para mukha akong magaling. Meron akong classmate, lumipat. Galing sa school namin, pumunta siya sa ibang school. Tapos sabi niya, sobrang saya ako dito kasi top performer ako parati. Pero kulelat siya sa school namin. Pero lumipat siya, sobrang saya niya dun. Kasi bida na siya dun eh. So similar to that, we can escape what makes us feel insecure, what makes us feel insufficient. Or we can also take ownership and responsibility. Meron din mga tao na hindi nag-escape. Sabi nila, next year gagalingan ko mag-aral para ako yung top. Ayoko na feel to ulit na ako pinakabobo dito sa classroom. That's taking ownership, but it's overcompensating also. You're not facing your insecurity with anything but yourself and yourself and yourself. And so, step back tayo, how does the gospel step in here? It says, despite of my wedding not being that impressive, despite that person not being impressed with me, my identity and my value is secure not because I'm the best, not because I am most impressive, but because I belong to God. So that removes you from trying to escape or trying to overcompensate. That enables you to simply do what you need to do. Give what you can give and step back, rest. Be completely okay with your best efforts. The gospel gives us And so the focus character teaches us this. The king removes the queen immediately. Why? He refused to face the failure of his husbandhood. He instead chooses a different wife who does not make him feel like a failure of a husband because he wants to believe that he is the king Ahasuerus of all Persia and Media. He does not want to face that he has anything lacking. He wants the curtains to be true about him. He wants the pavement to be true about him. He wants the marbles to be true about him. Despite of his crumbling marriage, he does not want to face that. So he escapes. He removes Queen Vashti, not willing to face his own realities. So a few lessons from this chapter. You see, in our culture, this is what, we, what I think we fall back onto. Like the king, we have our own G's. Glory, gold, and girls. Okay? What it looks like for glory is education. We want to study more. We want higher positions in the careers, in our, in our, in our jobs. We want competence. Ano ba bang next para sa akin? Why? Because it makes you feel that you are needed and you are valuable. Next, you also pursue gold. Mga Filipino-Chinese, yan. Yautsinya. Wealth, riches, possessions. Di utsubo. Abo, di letso lang. Bakit? Mas importante yung mga taong may pera kasi marami silang magagawa. 
So what, what happens to us as we aspire? We aspire to be the important people. Kasi nakikita mo eh. Yung mayaman na yun, tingnan mo, daming believe sa kanila, nagiging guest speaker pa siya. Tapos, ako, dahil wala akong pera, hindi naman ako naging guest And then, girls. Sorry, girls, yung example ko kasi gusto kong G. Pero life partner yan, boys and girls. Why? Because society affirms those who are married as being good enough and those who are single as, ay, walang... Walang, walang, may, may something wrong siguro. May, may, may kulang pa siguro. And so we, grabe Lord, bigyan mo life partner. Why? Because we want to be affirmed that we are good enough. Pasado na pala ako para sa iba. I can be wife material. I can be husband material. Pasado, check. So these dreams that we, we aim of attaining become what we compensate Because we know something we lack. We desire to be needed. We desire to be valued. We desire to be important. We desire to be good enough. So we try to eliminate everything that makes us feel contrary to these things. Sige, pag nag-aral ako, di na ako babastusin. Pagka, tinga mo, pag doktor na ako, di mo na ako mababastos. Tinga mo, pag ako na nagsasweldo sa'yo, di ka na makakasagot sa akin. Tignan mo, kapag ako na mas mayaman sa'yo, i-invite mo na ako sa party mo. I-invite mo na ako sa wedding mo. It sounds good. It sounds like you're a hardworking Filipino-Chinese person. But deep inside, you're compensating for something you know you're hungering for. Gusto mo eh. And so you eliminate. Ayoko na mag-hang out with my rich friends. They make me feel poor. Or some people, I work harder so I can hang out with the rich friends para pag-golf-golf na lang rin ako. You want that status, you want that fame, you want that glory, and you remove everything or you try to overcome anything that hinders you from that. The sad thing about this is this will always fall short. There will always be someone who is richer than you, who is more competent than you, who is more skilled than you, who is more advanced than you, who is actually truly better than you, and their wedding is mas nakakakilig naman talaga eh. Oh, diba? Nakarating na ako guys. Na-process ko na, na-confess ko na kay Lord. Talaga naman maganda yung wedding eh. Totoo, nasa beach eh. Grabe naman oh. Nilipad niya lahat ng guests niya eh. Paano ako naman? Wala naman. Hanggang tipolo lang kami. Mas maganda naman talaga. And so if you don't have a place of security, you will always be shaken. There's more gold to attain. There's more girls to get. There's more glory that is needed to gain the whole world. Hindi ka matatapos. So you're tired all the time spiritually because you're never rested. You're never anchored anywhere. There's always more to please. So now we step back again. Slide, please, slide. The lens for reading whom you say is our God. How many of us are able to put our identity and our whole confidence in saying, Lord, ikaw na bahala. Kahit hindi naman siya impressed sa wedding ko. Kahit hindi siya impressed sa buhay ko. Kahit hindi siya impressed sa family ko. Alam ko, ginagawa ko yung best ko. Alam ko, nakikita mo yun. Imagine what kind of peace 
what kind of joy that life will be. So Christ was not just an example. He was showing us the way, the truth, and how to live life. Very rested, despite being disrespected. In Isaiah, it describes to us Jesus physically. He grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. Nothing. And he was despised. He was rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows. He was not a man of pomp and splendor. His friends were grief, sadness, sorrow. Not Persian Empire officials. People did not esteem him at all. So this Christ that we serve serves as a contrast to the king that we're talking about. He had a crown, but he was no king. And Jesus was a king who had no crown. Everything about him would make Queen Vashti say, yes, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because he was a different king. He led beyond glory, gold, and girls. He was a person who earned respect, who deserved respect by the way he lived, by the person he was, and the convictions that he lived by. And so he was able to live this way. Jesus had a different G. Jesus was living not to glory, gold, or gross. He was living unto God. So he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he did not feel that he needed to compensate with his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, papatayin ka na, babasusin ka na, babasurahin ka na. Like a sheep that before its shears is silent, he opened not his mouth. He did not seek to justify himself because it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Sounds like a king. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. That sounds like a king to me. Instead of using his kingdom and his wealth to further himself above others, he uses what he had, his life, his afflictions, his oppressions, his soul, He offered it to others so that others might be elevated to righteousness. This king had no crown, but this king was king. His leadership was way different. He was satisfied by being able to say, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. He was so fulfilled, he did not need the three G's to feel full. He was goods. I'm goods. As long as I'm doing the will of the Father. (sighs) How about you, my friends? How about you, church? How have we been chasing the three G's in our life, trying to be the king with the crown? Or are we able to truly embrace the calling 
of the true king who had no crown, who calls us to bear other people's burdens, to take up our sorrows, to take up other people's sufferings, to give ourselves up for others. For that is what true rulership and authority is. So, I pray that today was a setup for the rest of the book of Esther. Just like Jesus' story on the cross, Queen Esther's rise to the throne was triggered by an insecure response. King Aswerus was hurt in his ego, so he deposed Vashti, and soon Esther will come to the throne. In Jesus' time, it was also similar. The religious leaders were threatened because their ego was hurt. This guy, Jesus, was so famous, we need to take him down before he turns us over. And by their selfish pursuits, they gave way to salvation for all of us. Jesus accomplished salvation through the evil intent of rulers. Esther will accomplish salvation for her people despite of how her story began, a king with a hurt ego. So I pray that as we discuss the book of Esther, we'll learn to see how God, invisible as he is, his hands invisible as they are, shows up. Shows up in our daily life, and the more we are familiar with this invisible God, the more we are able to sense him, live with him, and bask in his presence in our own daily life. Let's pray. Our King, our King, you humble us today because we confess we have been chasing gold, glory, and girls because society tells us this is what kings are. This is what respected, important, valuable, needed people are, what they have. But we fail again and again to keep our eyes on you, the true king who showed us what the king truly should be, who dies for others, who makes sin offering for others so that others might live, might flourish, might experience peace in your presence, in your kingdom. So make us kings and queens of your kingdom, ones who give up our thrones and our crowns so that others might be elevated to positions of glory in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.